The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc. Actually, honestly, though, uh, <laughs> white people were the minorities in my high school. Really? Yeah. The crackers? So, no yeah. kidding. Did you give them a yeah. beat down? Uh, Did you mock them? I mean, you had to, you know. Yeah. You got you to let them know who, right, who runs good. the place. Here, try this, <laughs> try this pepper. No, it's not hot. No, it's not hot. <laughs> yeah, tequila's like beer. <laughs> the morning blaze. Weekday morning, 6 to 9 Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Week to week, I bring you that voice of reason, that voice of an American Muslim patriot who is unafraid unafraid to take on the radicals, unafraid to take on the core issues of reform, to dive into those areas that political correctness has prevented us from addressing as a country, as a state, in your local neighborhoods, areas of religious reform, areas of modernity, areas of national identity, things that should be on the radar of discussion day to day between churches, synagogues, Muslims, Mosques and, and, and places of worship, unfortunately, have been taken off here on Reform This week to week. I hope you join me to listen in on a conversation about being American, a conversation about how to keep us safe, a little food for the soul about where we're headed in the 21st century. Before we get started today, we have yet again the horror, the tragedy we're reeling from another senseless act of wanton violence. The Parkland School in Florida, young kids, teens, went to school. Like any other day, they had a drill. Parents dropped them off as the father of 16-year-old, 13-year-old, and a 9-year-old hits close to home. You can't help but uh, think how every family in America just thinks to themselves, when did our schools become a war zone? When did our schools, in which our kids are supposed to simply be worried about learning, about education, when did they become the front line in war? And I think before anything gets political, before we think we know solutions, let's get all the facts first. Let's find out what happened. Odds are very high that, and already we're hearing information that uh, uh, this animal, this monster, had given a lot of hints, obvious signs of militarization, of militancy, of psychosis, of projecting that he may commit an act of violence. My prayers, my thoughts are not only with the state of Florida especially with these 17 families that were impacted that have now found themselves without a loved one for no reason other than they went to school, for no reason other than their child went to school. I'm sure we'll hear stories of heroism. I'm already hearing about a football coach that dove in front of bullets 
That's what being American is all about. Our country is full of millions upon millions of heroes, courageous souls that come together knowing about the price of freedom. I hope we learn from this. I'm sure that ultimately we need to look at how security is maintained for schools, how perimeters are maintained, and then internally what are the signs you know, in the, in the counter-terror, and the counter-Islamist world, we talk about known wolves, not lone wolves, but known wolves. And again, this act of terror upon this school, and now the dead 17 and others injured. What are we learning from that? Did we not know? What could we have done? He was expelled. He was barred from bringing even a backpack because they knew he may have something. Why wasn't he monitored? We always ask that. Maybe there's something more we should be doing and can learn from this event. God bless the United States. God bless these families. And may none of us ever hear again but a mass shooting in any school or for any reason whatsoever. Also, this happened on Valentine's Day, the day in which we cherish our loved ones. And I have to tell you that it's especially an important day for me. My wife and I got married on Valentine's Day. It's our anniversary. And this is our 20th anniversary. We were married on Valentine's Day in 1998. We chose Valentine's Day because it was a Saturday on the weekend. That weekend, a President's Day weekend. I had a three-day leave that I could take from the Navy. And it's been the greatest 20 years of my life. I know that most of you know me by virtue of my work in counter-ideology and speaking out as an American Muslim, but none of this would be possible without having been blessed with a spouse, a wife that understands the importance of what I do, why we do it, of this country, of our family. And I'm sure every one of you is reminded of the loved ones in your life your spouse, the mother, the father of your children, and what they mean to you. Cherish them. Love every second, as I'm reminded now in the greatest 20 years of my life, which have been married to my wife. Thank you. Thank you, God, for bringing her to me. And may we have another 20 years, another 40 years, another 100 years <laughs> of joy and love. There's a lot to talk to you about this week. And... I want to open first with a discussion about what's happening in France. There are many who were critical of Prime Minister Macron, I'm sorry, President Macron's, Emmanuel Macron's uh, ascendancy as sort of being inexperienced that he may, uh, obviously, I, I believe he's left of center. I don't know his politics very well, uh, but at the end of the day, he's not a hardliner. And uh, there are many concerned that from the security side of the fence, that he may not bring with him the staunch need to protect France from the insurgency, from the radicalization, especially within the Islamists of the Muslim population. And there were even some that were writing, and I think I've talked to you about this last year in this program, the bizarre concept of maybe allowing the Islamists to set up their own state separate from France, and that might make it safer for the rest of France. And I found that to be absurd that folks that consider themselves French citizens to be given the freedom to set up their own enemy state of France. 
But yet this is the levels to which a population, a minority of 12% of the population, 11 to 12% that were Muslim, and a significant portion of which are Islamists, were beginning to present a threat of radicalization, of ideological transformation that needed to be addressed by the French population. So without any recent, now obviously France has been hit by acts of terror in the past few years, especially not only in Paris twice, but uh, uh, with, with threats that have gone on to Belgium and elsewhere, they realize that the problem has to be addressed. And Macron gave a speech that talked about the fact that reform of Islam is necessary in France. Yes, a president of a Western secular democracy had the courage to announce to the world that he was going to insist that Muslims in his country adhere to the principles of France, the contract, the social contract of the secularism, laïcité of France, and that with that would come a mandatory, a, a pressure towards reform of Islam. He would fight fundamentalism and preserve national cohesion. And that he wanted to, quote, lay the groundwork for the entire reorganization of Islam in France. I mean, I have to get my head around that. The president of France announced that he was going to fight fundamentalism, preserve national cohesion, and lay the groundwork for the entire reorganization of Islam in France. You have to laud that. Now, in the next segment, I want to walk through with you some of the details that I think missed the mark on a number of areas, but for crying out loud, I've been trying to get our president from either party to address reform. I've been trying to get our national leaders, our thought leaders, our think tanks to pay attention to the need to counter Islamism. Now, Macron didn't use the term Islamism. I think he should have. But when we come back, I want to talk to you about exactly what's happening. What did he lay out? Is this a step forward? How do we address this? Look at one of the pieces that addressed this at Gatestone Institute. Uh, and um, let's have a conversation. What's France doing? What's Macron doing? Is it the right thing or not? Thank you for being with me again this week, and we'll be right back on Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Breaching the fault lines of today, this is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Pat Gray. Matter, on, yeah. Just some email issues. That's all. It's just internet issues. That's fine. Where like it's all good. What? What's going on? So HR hasn't you had got, the conversation. I don't know if I can do it. You got things right in your hand. What do you mean? Yeah, but this is... Pat, there's a reason why he's locked out of his email. Let's not talk about it anymore. Okay. Yeah, well, you know, look, my my parking sign went missing, so... That's true. No. I got the hint. Oh, no. I'm getting... I'm finally getting the hint. Pat Gray. Weekdays from noon to 3 Eastern. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser, the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This. It's always great to be with you. We cover the stories. I cover the stories that people just won't talk about, that aren't being talked about for whatever reason. And this week, President Macron in France gave a speech about 
about reforming Islam. Yes, the president of France, instead of appeasement, directly confronted the ideology and the need for reform. He talked about the need to fight fundamentalism, to preserve national cohesion, to lay the groundwork for an entire reorganization of Islam. Now, that last part, I think, wasn't worded correctly. Uh, I don't think, obviously, I think Muslims need to reorganize Islam, but I don't think it should necessarily be directed uh, by the ideas and whims of the president of France. But maybe he has a plan. Maybe he's been talking to reformers. But, you know, we've had our hand in the Muslim reform movement, our fingers on the pulse of reform in the West, and I've not heard who he's talking to. Now, as I mentioned, there is a significant demographic problem with Muslims in Syria, ten, in, in France, uh, because of a number of the revolutions, etc., from Syria on. But at the end of the day, that demographic is separationist. That demographic, uh, some said, should be solved. Last year was mentioned that they should be given a free state, a separate state within a state in France. That's suicide. That's absurd. But... Now they're finally starting to address it. And, you know, I think one of the things that um, it's important that we're finally talking about. Yeah, I think initially it'll, it'll be valuable for you and I today to walk through some of my concerns about the plans laid out by the president of France. Uh, but he said, and I want to thank um the Gatestone Institute for writing about this. Uh, the AP actually had a story. Reuters had a story about it. But Soren Kern, a senior fellow at the Gatestone Institute, really laid out, I think, a good outline of what President Macron talked about. He said, I will never ask any French citizen to be moderate in his religion or to believe moderately in his God. That would not make much sense. But I will ask everyone constantly to absolutely respect all the rules of the republic. And I think it's important. He laid out here that it is not for the government to interfere in a personal relationship with God, but it is for the citizens to belong and believe in the social contract of that republic. That is really the essence of reform. Now, I think what was deeply missing, number one, was to begin to be able to build relationships up front with this endeavor, not to be generically coming out of purely non-Muslim environs of a governmental leadership, but to come out of established individuals that are reformists, that are pro-Western, that are secularists, that believe in the republic, that believe in constitutional, as we know it in America, the Bill of Rights and principles of the separation of mosque and state, that are anti-Islamist. And it was frustrating to, to look at the comments of President Macron and not see, not see a testimony to the need to define Islamism, political Islam, Islamic State loyalty, jihad loyalty for military movements and defense and offense, um, Sharia. He didn't use any of those terms. Now, he may say that's going to be coming, but you can't declare, declare that you're about to set on a goal, as President Kennedy talked about going to the moon, he identified that we were going to go to the moon. He didn't say how. He said we were going to figure it out. But he said where we were going. So if this is President Macron's moonshot, if it's his moonshot, then he needs to lay out quickly how he envisioned France getting there. Now, 
bottom line is, is one of the key aspects is, again, for President Macron's approach to reforming Islam is, who's representing Muslims? Number one, he said that he wanted to reform the French Council of the Muslim Faith. I don't know how to pronounce it, but uh, the Conseil Francais du Culte Musulman, CFCM, the official interlocutor between Muslims and the state in the regulation of Islam in France. So it represents about 2,500 mosques in France. And I'll remind you, after the Paris attacks, they invaded, I think, 11 mosques. Four of them had arms in them. So they realized they had a problem, and I think this has been brewing since then, even before the election of Macron. He said it's time to bring in a new generation. And this is now a Muslim who was quoted. And the president said, he said, the CFCM has long faced criticism for being ineffective and contentious. Um, now, Kern from Gatestone quotes Hakim Al-Karawi, a French-Tunisian expert on Islam, who's advising Macron's on the reform. So he's been advising Macron. He said, it's time to bring in a new generation. We've seen 15 years of debate to defend the ideas, to defend the interests of foreign states. I think that's really true. This is exactly, it's not about Islam. It's about theocracy of foreign states like Saudi Arabia, Iran, Egypt's Brotherhood, Hamas. Versus the secular freedoms, modern interpretations, postmodern interpretations of enlightenment Muslims. So the interior ministry intends to have its reform in place by next year, by 2019, when this new council will hold elections to renew its leadership. The moment is propitious for advancing necessary reforms, said Anwar Kibetch the former head of that forum. I really don't believe, now they're going to use the democratic process. I think this is another major mistake. No different than leading a think tank with a board of directors. You find most mosques that get radicalized in the West, they're radicalized by trying to have democratic elections. They're radicalized by allowing the most active identity politic within our faith community, Muslims who believe you collectivized under the Islamic banner. So Macron is calling for elections which mobilize Muslims to act based on their identity, which will be a natural magnet for Islamists. So I would tell you, don't have elections for a decade. Begin the reforms with obvious reformers who are known to be respected believers in their faith. Most of us that believe in reform would not win an election in mosques, I can tell you. When I ran for the election and a board here locally, it had the highest turnout of any election I think that they've had because people were concerned and some were supportive. Uh, it was close, but I ended up losing. And I think it's because most of the people who are obsessed and, and, and dedicated to advancing evangelically their Islam are going to be Islamists. Now, I don't believe that's a majority of Muslims, but I do believe that those activated to be representatives of the faith are going to be Islamists for the most part. He also plans on establishing a grand imam of France. Bad idea. Bad idea. Modeled on the position of a chief rabbi. 
The individual would have the moral authority to represent Islam in front of the state. As Kern reports, at Gatestone, it remains unclear how such an individual would reconcile the competing strains of Islam to represent them all. Boy, I, I, I will tell you, I think Muslims need disruption. We need chaos. We need diversity. We don't need unification under one non-threatening banner that prevents the critical thinking the 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 rubric of a of a of a boiling point that will allow our societies like iran like saudi arabia like egypt tunisia syria that got to a boiling point and are boiling that boiling is necessary to allow to burn off the tyranny of the last century and begin to allow better ideas to boil to the top and in the west is especially a place to do that because it's not going to end up in the tyrannical genocide that you saw in Syria or in the wars that you saw in Egypt, that ultimately we can have debates chaperoned by, and this is where the role of Western governments is so important, it needs chaperoning, it needs that public-private partnership, but not a grand imam. I'm against that. Financing of Islam, Macron, I think, made a lot of good points about reducing the influence of Arab countries. He argued that they need to prevent French Islam from returning. Who He argued they prevent French Islam from returning to Islam, returning to modernity. So ultimately, I think it's important that they start cutting off that funding. And I think he realized that that was right on the money. He talked about revising, and this is right, this runs to the core of what our organization, the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, is about. He said he wants to revise the 1905 law on the separation of church and state, which established state secularism in France. The 1905 law, as Kern points out, banned government funding of religious groups in France, addressing the prospect that French taxpayers might soon be asked to pay for Muslims to worship in France. He said, the 1905 law is part of a treasure that is ours, but it did not consider the religious fact of Islam because it was not present in our society as it is today. He also talked about establishing a halal tax to finance Islam. Again, that's fraught with problems and not something we could ever do in the United States uh, because of our much deeper constitutional separations um, but again I, I can see the intent behind it but that would be problematic to force a faith community to pay for things that the government is forcing to do uh, not the way to get where we need to get going and when we come back I'll talk a little about training of imams that's another thing that Macron talked about this is Zudi Jasser on Reform This and we'll be right back <laughs> You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards. You know, farmers start to offer things that they haven't necessarily had to offer in the past, uh, including, uh, you know, benefits, uh, the uh, the ability to actually use some of the land uh, to grow your own crop. You, you know, you would call that sharecropping at, at some point, but uh, it's a far different type of sharecropping than uh, what it would have been in the 1930s. 40 Acres and a Fool on demand. Download episodes at theblaze.com slash radio, SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play Music. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. 
This is Judy Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. We're talking about Western governments finally waking up, finally waking up to the fact that they need to be heavily invested and involved in tipping reformation in Islam. And President Macron gave a speech about this. I mean, I have many differences with his policies, but it was refreshing to finally hear a leader of a government in the free world talk about the need for Islam to come to terms with modernity and the need for the government to begin to push with a, a, a more coercive prod the community in doing that. One of the things that he talked about was the need to train imams. And already he points out how many that there's hundreds of imams in the 2,500 mosques around France that are paid by foreign governments. And his interior minister said that, you know what, we should intervene in the training of those imams so that they are imams of the French Republic and not imams of foreign countries. Wow. Where's American leaders saying that? That is, that is exactly what's radicalizing our clerical leadership, and that this is right on the money. They later said, we can see that today we have a number of difficulties simply because nowadays everyone can proclaim himself to be an imam. So they're talking about the credentialing process. Also true. Here I would tell you that let's forget about the credentialing. It's not because remember credentialing is about education. The education of imams would have to be done at formal graduate schools. Please tell me. You're talking about beginning in an infantile level of reformation. And if that hasn't started, you think there's schools of higher learning in which these imams can be certified in a way that is postmodern with an Islamic stamp of approval? I don't think that exists. I think that's getting the cart before the horse. I think you begin with reformist-minded intellectuals because if you look in Europe itself, Christian reformation was prodded by those who believed in reason and freedom and liberty. And eventually the clerics came, but it, I don't believe ultimately that, yes, there were many priests that led that, and Martin Luther was obviously one of those religious leaders, but I believe ultimately it's the governmental private community network that will lead that. So, Another French Islamic reformer said something I think that's very important. He was a former president of the Great Mosque of Paris, and he said, there is a terrible paradox that you have to know how to break. We live in a secular state, and the sacrosanct principle of secularism stipulates that political authority should not interfere in the structure of a cult, whatever it may be. But at the same time, there must be structure and privileged interlocutors of political power. The Muslim leaders are cautious, pusillanimous. They have not managed the structure. As a result, it is legitimate for both the President of the Republic and the Interior Minister to insist on a healthy structure. I get that. It's like, you know, if you kids can't fix your house, we're going to have to come in and organize it for you. I get that. But um, I don't think that this is the way to get there. I think you need to have the discourse, say it needs to be done, get some leading ideologues that are anti-Islamist Muslims that love their faith and ask them to tell France how it's going to be fixed. In America, ask us reform movement leaders to tell America 
on a commission, as I've talked about before, how it's going to be fixed. So I think ultimately the training of imams is one of ground zero, is, is ground zero for this debate. I think ultimately the financing is ground zero. The intelligence agencies, the, the homeland security apparatus, the educational system, the police, counterterrorism, um, all of the different arms of government, the whole of society approach needs to look at this problem and begin from every level to approach it toward a solution. And I think the government can couch one of the main principles of liberty, freedom, and the central principles of Western society that need to be a part of this solution. So take a look at what the president of France said last week. I think it's the beginning of a discussion that has a lot of different permutations. I think the American example will be different. France has a laïcité policy that's very anti-religious, that looks at religion as a tool of the state, but not of the state with separation. Um, I think that that is very different than America's tradition of religious freedom being our first freedom, our first liberty. So that makes America, I think, more poised to lead some of these things, if done with some of the same approach that President Macron talked about in France. We can do this. I think it can be part of the solution. I think that you look at the training, you look at the financing, you look at the ideologies, but what he did not talk about is Islamism, Sharia, and Jihad. Islamism, it's Sharia and Jihad, need to be a central part of the conversation. Those Muslims who are against violent jihad, those Muslims who are against Islamism as a political, cultural ideology, and those Muslims who are against public sharia and government are part of the solution. And that's what our Reform Movement Declaration is all about. So start this conversation. I think let's see where France goes with it. There's much more to come. They want to do this by 2019. Uh, there's a lot being written out there. Um, and, you know, I think... Some have been critical. You look at some of the columnists in France. Um, a, a columnist accused Macron of trying to play both sides against the middle, and there's probably some truth to that. He said he's credited with holding a subtle balance between unfailing attachment to Republican principles and absolute firmness vis-a-vis -vis radical Islam. But the president evades that. I'm not sure how long this will last. And it may go either way. So... Thank you to Soren Kern for the summary at Gatestone. There's a lot to think about there. And more important to me is I'd like to see America involved in this too. We may only have 1%, 2% of the population versus the 11% that are Muslim in France. But we have a laboratory to do things that respects the internal spirituality of a faith, but yet rejects theocracy, which is one of the foundational elements of American freedom. This is Udi Jasser on Reform This, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something, and progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. 
Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. Blaze Radio Network On Demand. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Our last segment together this week. A lot to talk about and digest. We walk through a little bit of an initial discussion about France and the government's role in reforming Islam. I have to digress for a second. This week, Obama... President Obama, 44th President of the United States, unveiled his portrait, as many presidents do after they finish their administrations and their terms. And his portrait was distinctly different from most of the ones before them. Most of the ones before are either in the Oval Office or sitting on a chair with a painting behind them, and uh, the artist is reveled in, in the unique strokes and the the authenticity of the recreation, etc. This time, President Obama's was in front of a wall of leaves, green leaves. It'll definitely stick out compared to the other ones. But I have to tell you, I put out a meme this week using that picture. But we want, we modified the picture a bit at our American Islamic Forum for Democracy and turned the leaves from green to brown with decaying holes in the leaves and said, you know, the legacy of President Obama as he sits healthily in a chair after eight years would be best shown if he was sitting in front of what a garden of leaves, trees would look like in Idlib, Syria, or in Ghouta, Syria, that had been attacked by chemical weapons. What is that legacy? Did the president, did Susan Rice, did Ambassador Rice and other leaders that supposedly are supposed to lead the free world to prevent genocide, what will history say about President Obama? So a graphic, I think if you ask many American Syrians, about what would graphically represent the legacy that we will tell our children of President Obama to this generation, to the next generation, is that he sat through and did nothing, sat idly, with no policy, talked about red lines, which he never enforced, handed hundreds of billions of dollars to Iran that then became used as fodder to fuel terrorism against, against Sunni Muslims especially, but against Syrian citizens generally, that then not only committed a genocide, but terrorized Syrians in mass, displaced half a, displaced 10 to 11 million, killed 600,000, and radicalized so many that went into Al-Qaeda, Jabhat al-Nusra, ISIS, Hezbollah, and others. So that's the legacy. The graphic didn't show that. It looked like a president that sat before peaceful green garden of leaves, with no, oh yeah, the president that won the Nobel Peace Prize within a few months of taking office and hardly having done anything, that instead sat back as the war devolved across the Middle East, 
on the heels, not just of conflict, but on the heels of lost opportunity. Lost opportunity from populations that finally wanted to shed the yoke of dictatorship. So as they wanted to shed that yoke of tyranny, the representative of the common man, the common free man and woman, President Barack Obama, President Barack Obama stood back and instead sided with the theocrats, sided with the sided with the uh, Iranian regime against the Syrian citizens, sided with the Muslim Brotherhood against the free Egyptian citizens, sided with the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, maybe not on regional issues, but against their people, was never on the side of the people of the Middle East. Just a thought. That's the, the artist rendition that I saw. There's a Pew study that came out this week that showed that 23% of Muslims who grew up in the U.S. abandoned Islam. 23%. 55% of those became atheists or agnostics. 23% became Christians. And of all of the countries, Iranian Muslims are more likely to convert. And the majority of converts to Islam in the United States were Christians, more than half of them Protestants. So, yet you hear quotations from CARE and other Islamist propagandists that the number of American Muslims has been growing steadily by around 100,000 annually. But the fact that shares of people who enter and leave Islam are about equal suggests that the conversions to and from the faith are having little impact on the group's overall growth. Now, why do these numbers matter? This is not about team growth. This is, you know, and I can hear now the, the Muslim naysayers who say, oh, look, Jasser's taking the side of the apostates and those who leave Islam showing that he's truly an enemy of our faith. No, listen. I do this because I love my faith. I do this because I do believe that the best reform, the best humility for Islam is to truly show the world that we want to treat the diseases, the cancers that are radicalizing our community. So if you look at these numbers, it should be a wake-up call to get us into that 12-step program. That first step of denial should show that one of the reasons that Iranian Muslims have the largest conversion rate, that in Iran, their population has the largest rejection of Islam rate in the world, it's because theocracy in which you ram Islam down somebody's throat is the way to repel people from your religion. So reason would show that if you love your faith, you allow it to live in a laboratory in which people can ridicule it, can criticize it, can critique it, can leave it, can talk about it, compare it to other religions. That is the sign of a confident faith, that's between an individual and God and not between the theocrats who think they are God, who act like God, who will tell you they are God and treat you as a slave and as a subject. So these new numbers that came out of Pew, I think, should tell Americans and American Muslims, what is your legacy for your kids? 
You're going to be all worried that they memorize the Qur'an and then it's about, who, are they a Hafiz? Oh, alhamdulillah, they're Hafiz. Yes, it's great to be a Hafiz. I'm trying to memorize my Qur'an. But that is not the number one priority of teaching our kids faith. It's not just about memorization of words they don't understand. It's about moral compass. It's about principles. It's about character and integrity. I'd much rather have four reformists that are of strong moral courage and reputable integrity and, and, and reputation rather than ten reformists who lie and, t and, and cheat and deceive in order to promote their version of Islam. Kids see through that. The population can see through that as we see through corrupt politicians, as we see through corrupt any spokespeople and any leaders. This is the problem. Why are people leaving Islam? They see Muslim leaders as corrupt, materialistic, exploitative, the Tariq Ramadans of the world who have now lines of women standing up with the courage to speak out that he exploited them and abused them, if not raped, because of his position. We'll see if that's true as the charges hopefully go to court and he has to pay for the crimes that he did if he committed them. But even the fact that there's a number of accusations that exist should make us respect the fact that theocrats who are not accountable, who think they are God, will always have hubris. So these numbers of 23% leaving Islam should worry Muslims more than anything else. Not that we need to evangelize our faith. Muslims are a quarter of the world's population. But it should wake us up that, on the one hand, those entering the faith, hook, line, and sinker, are becoming radicalized ISIS jihadists. And on the other hand, many who are leaving are not being shown a pathway of freedom and individuality that they can get closer to God in their own recipe. Now, they're leaving because they don't see a faith that they want to become a part of. They see a community that's robotic, that's enslaved, that's, that's uh, uh, controlled by theocrats and does not have the ability to push back against the establishment in our faith. So look at the Pew poll numbers, and we'll keep talking about this. I think this is one of the key drivers that should end up driving reform, is understanding what's happening within the background of the larger numbers in the Muslim population in America. God bless you. God bless the United States of America. This is Zudi Jasser, and I'll see you next week. God bless. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.